Welcome to Wondering, a series of immersive podcast gallery walks brought to you by Shade Podcast and Axel Gakutia. Sponsored by Bloomberg Connects, the free arts and culture app. Today, we meet artist Harold Ofe at Dulwich Picture Gallery as he explores the nature of landscape art and his own work, Body Landscape Memory, that will feature at the gallery's forthcoming exhibit, Soulscapes. I'm an artist and an educator, and I'm currently at Dulwich Picture Gallery. Well, I think it's such a unique space. It's like a pocket of London that's not really like London, because it's village vibe. I mean, it's sort of, yeah, like being in Surrey or Cambridgeshire, where I'm from. I mean, I live in a small village, even though I grew up in Haringey. So, I mean, so I always find that really slightly disconcerting and then the gallery itself is in like surrounded by this sort of beautiful kind of parkland and it's beautiful kind of period building I mean I know the sort of history is one of the first like public art galleries so I'm kind of sort of conscious of that as a kind of uh, legacy um, but yeah it, it feels like a sort of mini sort of stately home in grounds kind of thing so there's kind of that's that's an interesting kind of like dichotomy particularly if you're coming from Rye Lane and all that craziness and stuff to to this little kind of Albion oasis you know I think something I'm always conscious of, that experience of arriving somewhere and how that, how that speaks to, uh, you know, the idea of being welcomed, being gently brought in, or like often institutions can really assert power. So if you think about that kind of architecture, neoclassical, you have to climb steps to enter or the big atrium, that kind of, you know. So I'm, I'm still always kind of really conscious of that that space in which you encounter the institution. I think there is always that, I think, and that's something I hold on to, trying to remind myself of. Um, and I think sometimes that's difficult because I'm just used to like, okay, I've got to meet somebody, I'll just come in, you know, I forget all the architectural symbols or institutional symbols that might make it difficult for people to enter space. And obviously, as I've got older, you sort of begin to kind of realise, particularly with, like, public spaces, that you should have ownership of them.
think that whole thing about the absence from the landscape and really thinking about, particularly within the kind of Western canon, who's represented, how are they represented? And often when sort of black bodies or bodies of colour are represented it's in very particular forms, often in servitude or as an accessory. You know, sometimes you get like kind of romanticised images of sort of people, but, but there's a kind of huge absence, I think, in terms of certain depictions. Particularly the English landscape tradition that was formed kind of within the 18th century is a kind of, it's so, it's so much about kind of fantasy and um, a kind of manufactured kind of narrative that you sort of, I feel like people are still clinging on to. I think the thing for me that's important about that, because it destabilizes or challenges like these ideas of natural order or authenticity, like this thing is fixed as British. And it's like not, you know, it's actually those things have emerged out of a group of people who've maybe decided based on their own narratives and interests. And if they can do that in the past, we can do that now. And these things evolve and shift. So I think, you know, for me, it's important to really, like, uncover these, like, fictions. Uh, not because they're inherently bad, although I think they can be problematic in the way that they're um, unchallenged or they're assumed to be correct just because they've been there for a long time, you know. You see it in the whole debate around kind of statues and, you know, things that kind of, you know, litter our public space because the Victorians had a particular romantic agenda. It's like, you know, it's not because they've been there a long time doesn't mean they're like innately true and fixed. And I think the more we begin to kind of just unpack and realise how narratives are constructed and the agendas that come into them, I think for me it's about destabilising that a little bit and saying, OK, this is what has happened in the past. Do we want that also to continue? What do we want now? Because we can construct new things that speak to our time in the way that the Victorians did in their time. I think I've become aware of the kind of complexity of when we think about kind of landscape. It's like, you know, the next question is what landscape are we talking about? Part, this is partly because I live in the countryside now, or sort of semi-rural countryside, um, in that there's a landscape of the imagination, the landscape of enculturation, the landscape of myth and narrative, and then there's the physical space of the landscape, uh, like hedgerows and fields and, you know, pathways. Um, and I think prior to moving in, in, into the countryside, I was always very much thinking about the kind of culture of the landscape and the narratives and the it. Um, and, it, and a lot of that is imprinted onto the kind of ex real experience of the landscape. But there's also really the kind of politics of like how so much of England is inaccessible because it's private or um, or it might look public, but it's actually private and is feudal. A lot of it is incredibly still feudal. So for me, the politics of the actual, who owns and has access and polices this sceptered isle is also, I think I've become much more aware of when you're 
like living in it, you know, that 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 sense of, you know, why mythically it's often as romanticized and represents kind of sort of freedom and whatever. It's actually incredibly policed and access is very limited. So that's been a relatively new thing, I think, that's come about from a kind of lived experience. I was really interested in how there were a lot of contemporary image, like a lot of artists and musicians were placing themselves within landscapes. And I think very much of like Solange Knowles' Cranes in the Sky video, which is amazing video. But it's just a sequence of her in these landscapes with other women, other black women, kind of like. And it's just very pictorial and she's posing. And they're, and they're different types of landscapes, like sort of a you know, a kind of riverbed and then high on a mountain and then, you know, I mean, that's just one example of many, you know, of, within sort of popular culture. But like the, the politics of that, like presence, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm there, I'm here, I'm there. You know, I think it seems very kind of simple, but you know, that it's in the con context of absence, you know. Um, and in that particular video, I love that like, yeah, they're these kind of groupings, and sometimes she's just on her own. It's just like, you know, that's that's it. I think that that's also something that in terms of the, the kind of agency that I think a more contemporary generation has in terms of kind of asserting, like, presence and ownership um, in space of different landscapes, like, making oneself kind of sort of visible. I remember, like in the 80s and, and 90s on TV, like, these, like, travel shows. It was only white people that went traveling, you know? So it's like, but do people, do people of color not travel? It's gotta be, you know, um, uh, you know, do not enter these, like... I mean, and now you see a bit more of a kind of plurality of, of, of stuff, but um, I feel it's also sort of part of that. Like, they're these really amazing, like, kind of blog sites of, like, you know, you know, black women traveling around Central Asia. Like, you know, in Tajikistan or like amazing, you know, on their own, like these kind of old YouTube channels. I really love things like that, where you're like people kind of navigating these kind of sort of spaces. Wondering is sponsored by Bloomberg Connects, the arts and culture app. The free app offers access to more than 250 cultural organizations through a single download, with new guides being added every week. To explore the Dulwich Picture Gallery guide and many more, download the app today from the App Store or Google Play.
So Samuel Coleridge-Taylor um, is a figure that I encountered. I did a, a project in Croydon, and part of that project was sort of unpacking this relationship with Croydon and uh, the Croydon Museum. And one of the figures that kind of emerged from that was Coleridge-Taylor, is this composer who's like from Croydon, grew up there. Late 19th century, early 20th century, classical composer. Um, was his father was of Gambian heritage, so he's you know of mixed heritage in the sort of turn of the 19th, 20th century. But incredibly successful career, went to the College of Music, created these symphonic works, and has quite a particular legacy. There's like a youth center that's named after him. There's people in Croydon know, you know, but like in a, in a sort of wider kind of narrative, I think of black British figures is probably is not well known at all. Um, so it's just really interested in that history and narrative and then to listen to the music. This particular piece, Variations in African Air, is, in a way, his attempt to draw through the lens and tools of a symphonic composition. He's trying to draw the African landscape. It's a landscape that he didn't ever experience, but through his heritage, he's kind of sort of drawn to. So it's really interested in this idea of a, the diasporic experience, and then how, you know, you have in uh, the Edwardian period, somebody making this hugely ambitious composition that's like, that's, you know, speaking to that diasporic, a kind of part romanticizing, but also trying to kind of describe through sound um, and for me, it's really interesting that obviously he's using the, the language of the symphony and the orchestra, which is incredibly like based in the kind of European tradition, but trying to imagine this other space. <laughs> so the interesting, this kind of translation of, um, which is his experience, because he's, you know, somebody who's immersed in that. So with that particular piece, because it's so much about the landscape, this like, what is, what, his idea of kind of like Africa, and there's, you know, through the different kind of sections and movements, there's, you know, you get sense of kind of like, I don't know, this is my interpretation. <laughs> I'm not basing on his writing, but like, you know, like open planes and then like, there are moments of really drama and like heavy sky. So I was interested in that as a kind of depiction of the landscape by a black figure, a person of color. So that became the sort of starting point. And I, I was then, sort of tapping into this, like, trying to think about this pictorial tradition and the absence within the European canon of, um, like, like black bodies at leisure, um, and uh, particularly within the European landscape, like, just, like, not serving, not, like, labouring, not toiling, not, you know, um, but just being in the landscape. You know, which is, again, a real high point of, like, the European 18th century romantic tradition. It's, you know, particularly the white men that go on the grand tours and then, you know, Caspar David Friedrich, these guys looking out over vistas and, you know, um, and experiencing the sublime power of nature. And it's like, you know, which is... But we all experience that. I mean, no, no one person owns that, you know? Um, so I wanted to kind of, like, play into that a little bit in terms of um, the, 
the, the work and had this opportunity at um, Wising Art Centre in Cambridgeshire, which is very near to me, uh, as a very near and dear institutionally, close to my heart, um, to produce this, this work as a live work that was then also we kind of like staged for filming. And I think one key important thing, this idea, I think the framing, so within particularly Caspar David Friedrich's work, this, the, often the figure is turned away from the viewer. I'm quite interested, in, always interested in that pose of like looking at an image and you see the back of the figure, um, which I think is, for me, it was an interesting device. You know, one might think about it as kind of like, it's an invitation to kind of either embody that figure, so you step into their perspective or their point of view. But for me, it's always interesting. I think as a device, it forces me to work much harder as a viewer because, you know, often with portraiture, it's, it's about consumption. You can just drink in that person, you look at their eyes, where they're looking, you read them, what they're wearing, you know. But that figure that's turned away is resisting your gaze. And um, there's this thing where you have to really, there's a real sort of challenge to kind of like, you know, read the figure because they're not immediately presenting themselves or offering themselves to you. And like I said, there is also that opportunity to either step into their perspective or feel like you're standing with them. I mean, it also, it also works the other way. One might read as being quite creepy. Are they aware of your presence? So, but I think for me, there's something a bit more challenging and that it draws out of the experience of seeing a figure in space that I really liked. That as a kind of reoccurring motif where there, there, there were these figures that were adopting these poses. Um, and I'm very interested in the politics of posing, but um, <laughs> talk about that another time. But like, that were resisting the gaze, but looking out into the landscape. And you weren't quite, had to work quite hard to really read that. But it's also an invitation to also just look. I also wanted people just to listen to the music. And I feel like, Again, when you're really looking at somebody and it's, it's being read like a portrait, you're very much thinking through the subjectivity of that person, like how old are they, what mood, what emotion you're trying to read. So again, those figures are kind of like, you know, they're kind of markers and you're aware of them in the space. But for me, there's also, I want people to kind of listen to the music. Listening to episode four of Wondering, a four-part series of immersive podcast gallery walks with contemporary creatives. Wondering is produced by Lou Mensa and created by Axel Gakutier for Shade Podcast. Award-winning conversations on art and representation. Subscribe today to hear the complete Wondering series with our guests Zaki Yasul, Nabia Iqbal, Kayo Chingoni and Harold of Fay, as they discover artworks at the National Portrait Gallery, Sir John Soane's Museum, Graves Gallery, and Dulwich Picture Gallery. See you next time.